Fresh Art International presents conversations about creativity in the 21st century. This is Fresh Art International. I'm Kathy Bird. Our podcast and radio show explore the world's cultural landscape. We engage at the intersection of digital media, sound art, and social practice to explore contemporary art, film, and architecture. 2018 is our year to begin exploring contemporary art in the Caribbean. Field expeditions take us to just a few of the island countries. We visit the Dominican Republic, Haiti, and Trinidad and Tobago over the span of five months. The artists and curators, writers and educators we meet show us what it means to work at the fringe of the global art scene. Isolated artistic practices, emerging and recovering culture spaces, experiments and community engagement, and visions of possible futures. Advocates and provocateurs alike are eager to share their perspectives on political realities, post-colonial economies, and environmental vulnerability. In May 2018, Fresh Art International traveled to the Dominican Republic for Tilting Access 4, the fourth annual meeting of the Roving Arts Program that brings together culture makers from across the region. This year's theme was Caribbean Cultural Ecologies, Connecting Pasts, Presents, and Futures. Fermin Ceballos is an artist from the Dominican Republic whose work includes painting, performance, sculpture, ceramics, installation, and video art. In his solo show at Museo Fernando Peña del Fillo in Santo Domingo, he exhibits a new series of paintings titled Remains. Between trips from Santo Domingo to Berlin, he takes time to introduce us to the Dominican capital. I'm standing at the edge of the street in Santo Domingo with Fermín Ceballos. He is taking me on a tour, a walkabout, of the neighborhood. Yeah. We are in the Zona Colonial. Yeah, this is the Zona Colonial or Colonial City, Santo Domingo. This is the first city of America after the European came to this continent. And now I'm going to show you some uh, interesting places over here. This is uh, Luperon Street. Luperon is one of our national heroes because he was the leader in the war of restoration of our independence. Let's walk to the Calle El Conde, El Conde Street, street where just for walker, not for car. Pedestrian uh, walkway. Exactly. And then we are going to walk to the uh, cathedral. This is the Conde Street. The whole colonial city is very busy at night. 
uh, many people used to come because the many restaurants, bars, and just places to be relaxed and walk around. A shared ride in a crowded van takes us off the beaten path to a free-for-all shopping district. You can see over here many shops. So I see CDs and fruit and, and massage oil. Yeah, and this old, uh, remote control. Remote control. Technology. Yeah, DVDs. This is La Sirena. No one else is gonna have this experience that you are having now. So this is very near to Colonial City, like parallel to the world. This is the Chinatown over here. You can see the, the statue. Chinatown? Yeah, we have a Chinatown. Uh, this is very important. This is the Parque Enriquillo. Enriquillo was a indigenous guy who fight against the area. <laughs> we have to be careful over here already. This is not the colonial city anymore. So you can see how the area is becoming more and more tense and it's very tense atmosphere. One morning, we visit the studio of artist Jorge Pineda. Pineda lived for years in France before coming home to the DR, where he's held in high esteem. After we spend hours talking about art and life in this island country, we turn to look closely at one of his works in progress. The painting depicts the problematic relationship between Haiti and the Dominican Republic. The two countries share the same island, According to Pineda, their rapprochement is a labyrinthian challenge. I know from reading about your work that children are always figuring very importantly as the subjects of your art. Yes, yes. And this is no exception, this new work. Yes. Um, you know, children at some point were the, the subjects, but they were the character of the of the project. You know, I were talking about children, but sometimes, and especially on those, I'm not talking about children, even I use the image of children. Because uh, like these pieces there, you know, is a kind of, of, of reflection about uh, the situation between in the island, between Haiti and the Dominican Republic. And we have these big pots, and we have these roots, and we don't know where to put it. But we share it. And then I think uh, it's, a, it's a situation that we don't have to hide behind things. We have just to make new proposals because there is a solution for those things. And you know, and we are different and that's the beautiful of everything and but we have to learn from each other. But it's like being twin. You know, I'm different than my sister, but we are one. So let's describe the actual composition because yes. it's on paper. Yes, it's on paper. It's it's on paper and they have gold leaf and how say that? Silver leaf. Silver leaf, yes. So what we see is two figures facing each other, and they're together, they're holding a, a pot, pot. Yes. between them. 
and they are identical, almost identical, yes. as twins would be. Yes. And they look like children, but they could be any, they could be teenagers, they could be uh, young yes, adults. Yes, they could be female, they could be male, we don't exactly. know exactly. But they are colorfully dressed, and their central core and heads are gold, and the roots around them are silver. Yes, and then you see it's, it's a kind of cactus that is all around them, and they get into the body of them, and it's a kind of labyrinthus. There we have the questions. How are you going to get out of there? But we have to find a way to communicate between us and to get out of the labyrinth. A few days later, Fresh Art International ventures to Haiti for the first time. In Port-au-Prince, Haitian-born curator Giscard Bouchot takes us to meet the sculptors of the Grand Rue. He introduces Louise Perrichon-Jean, director of the Centre d'Art. This venerated culture space was leveled during the devastating earthquake of 2010. When the building collapsed in 2010, thankfully the collection were at the first floor and the first floor didn't collapse completely, so they managed to save most of the collections and the archives of Le Centre d'Art, which are 70 years of archive of Haitian art. So that's very important that they managed to save it. And so the Smithsonian came in 80 and decided that Le Centre d'Art was a first priority space, like the collection were really renowned from the 40s, and also the Musée d'Art du Collège Saint-Pierre. So both those space were included in a project where they decided to help put the collection in the storage, and they did a conservation and inventory for two years. And in 2012, the collection came back on the historical site where we are now. So that's what you see here. That's why you see you have three containers and some concrete construction with the roof, getting them together. And that's where we have our collection up to now. But when I started working at Le Centre d'Art in 2013, the ruin was still there. And it was only this storage space. So we had to rebuild the walls, we had to rebuild office space, we had to rebuild temporary space for classes to take place, for artists to gather. Everything was to be done. For the collection, because it's an important part, the Smithsonian gave it back to us in 2012, but the inventory was not complete at all and it was not any pictures. So we had to restart doing the inventory from zero and I organized two partnerships with uh, two institutions in France to help us with those two big process. For the archive, we worked with a French association with professional archivists, and they helped us to reorganize everything, put everything in a database, digitalize a lot of um, our archive. And for the collection, I have a partnership with the School of Louvre, in France. So thanks to this partnership, it took us two years, but we managed to inventory 5,586 artworks. Wow. So now we know exactly what we have, we know in which shape they are, and we know that most of the artworks are paintings, but we also have uh, the beginning of iron sculpture in Haiti, because it all started at Le Centre d'Art. Where we're standing, there was a building. Yeah, exactly. And this a, is just a gravel yard. So it was a wonderful building, gingerbread style, which is the traditional uh, building of Haiti. 
So we took everything we could and we tried to do everything as uh, cheapest as we can, but also as aesthetical as we could. So this, for example, is an artwork tunnel uh, that's called uh, the Streets of Port-au-Prince. And that's a work done from Mario Benjamin, the artist, who did a workshop with eight students last year. And that's the result of their workshop. The so it's was. a covered walkway with uh, photo transfers onto plexiglass. And so this space here is very modulable. It's a multi-use space. Yeah, we have conferences, we have classes, we have film projection. You see the settings now. We are preparing for our next exhibition, opening next Sunday. That's why you see everything painted in white. We are redoing the space for the exhibition. Okay, so all of what we see blue won't be blue? No. <laughs> it will all be white, so it will just be about the art. It's open on one side, so how do you show art in an open-sided building well, safely? That's the first exhibition of painting that we'll be doing at Le Centre d'Art since the earthquake. We, the first exhibition we did was uh, iron, metal iron that we hang in the trees. You hung it in the trees. With a light effect and with shadows effect that was really nice. And this exhibition we had to take everything every day back in and back out. And that's exactly what we're going to do. That's an amazing aspiration to continue working and showing art here when you don't have a physical space that's secure. So you are working with very challenging logistics. Definitely. And every new thing that we do, we have to think how to do it because this space has to live. And that was the point to reopen it in 2014. We really wanted this yard, this historical place where artists were used to gather and be together. And we wanted to reopen it for all the youth and uh, the audience that's used to Le Centre d'Art. We meet Sandra Vivas at the Centro Leon in Santiago on the first day of Tilting Axis 4. Now based in Barbados, the artist has had more than her share of personal experience with displacement. Well, I moved from Caracas, which is a 7 million people city, to an island that has the entire population of the university I was teaching at, that is 70,000 students at the Universidad Central de Venezuela. I came with great expectations of uh, this romantic idea that I would have my studio in Dominica and I would continue work to the big world. It wasn't exactly like that. I realized very quickly that I needed support, I needed the other people, and I was not even in the capital of Dominica. I was in the second most important city, which is 4,000 people, and I was feeling very lonely and very miserable for a while, for a long while, about four years. <laughs> and it was in that context, in that situation in the West Indies that you started working in film? Yes. I realized that I wanted to speak a language that other people would understand. And, and that language, I mean, it's such a cliche, but it is true, film is a universal language. So that's when I decided that in spite of having no training, what did I have to lose? Who cares if there's not one movie theater in Dominica? I'm going to be the first filmmaker in Dominica. <laughs> that's very cool. The Trinidad and Tobago Film Festival featured your work. Yes, <laughs> for three years in a row, I have been accepted uh, to participate in the... 
TTFF, and it's been like a, a you know very encouraging experience. Yes, I am still doing more stuff that is related to the island. So I started to generate content about the island, and by and working with other people from the island of Dominica as well. Everything changed in 2017 with Hurricane Maria. What happened to your life that year? We had like an unusually horrible experience. I mean, we is uh, my family. Most people in the island lost their roofs. I don't know anybody who was not affected. But we're talking about Hurricane Maria that devastated the entire island. In my case, we had a horrible horror story that we survived, thank God. And from there, you, you were unable to continue living there and moved to Barbados. Yes. Barbados has been very easy to adapt because it's a lot more developed. I think Barbados has 240,000 people, so that is a lot. Back to Dominica. You have been doing work about it, about the isolation and of your artistic practice, of life there. I know that you're interested in the maroon culture. Yeah, well, I got interested like when I first heard about them because I... Uh, Dominica, it's, it's very peculiar. It was the last island to be colonized, and they had a large territory that belonged to the Maroons that was, like, undomitable, unconquerable. And although most of the um, uh, recordings, more of the history papers, archives, are trying to say that they extinguished the Maroons, you know, the truth is different, and you feel it in the environment. It's a culture that it's like a different because it's not so hierarchical. The plantation society, it's very organized and it's very hierarchical. The maroon society, it's uh, uh, more spread, it's open, it's more flexible, but it's very self-reliant, you know. Why, why the connection for you with maroon? Do you consider yourself maroon? I consider myself a contemporary maroon. That's how I feel I am now. I was displaced and I was somehow forced to live in this place and I had to adapt. That's how I see myself. And I love this research about the maroon wars and your mapping maroon territories and I love the notion of a whole landscape that was used as a site of resistance or a, a means of resistance. The same reasons why Dominica was the last island to be conquered by the British and the same reason why it's still one of the most underdeveloped islands. It's why it was the perfect hiding out space. Dominica has an incredible very abrupt topography, like lots and lots of mountains, lots of rivers, but also it's a very fertile soil, volcanic soil. We have more than 10 volcanoes in Dominica and in water everywhere. You spoke about that romanticized idea of water. Well, I say romanticized because as an idea, it's really beautiful. But in fact, water does separate us. 
and it uh, makes traveling extremely expensive, especially for a population of 70,000. It's not, you know, financially viable to make cheap flights, you know, for such a small place. Now you have a community in Barbados. What does it mean to you to be part of Tilting Axis, this gathering of curators, artists, instigators? Well, it's an amazing opportunity to find these threads of communication, this like new ways of not being isolated. This kind of, I would say, even in guerrilla, uh, decentralizing, decolonizing, using the medias that we have nowadays, like this one, like this podcast, you know, in which we have a voice and we don't have to listen just to the big centers of traditional consider those centers, and we can be our own centers to generate ideas, to generate relationships, and to create. Tilting Access introduces us to the range of cultural initiatives in the U.S. Virgin Islands. Born and based in St. Croix, Monica Marine became an environmental activist at the age of 17. These days, she pours her energy into funding, launching, and sustaining the creative life of her community. I'm an artist, but I haven't really been making art. I've been curating, as well as acting as an arts administrator, writing arts and culture grants for the government, for a nonprofit called the Caribbean Museum Center that I work for, and partnering with another nonprofit called Chant on a really cool building arts school that we've developed in a community arts project we got an art place grant for. They invited me to come last year to present Migrating Histories, which is a project that I conceived and co-curated with Carla Acevedo Yates, who's a curator from Puerto Rico. And we did a really great three-part performance series that culminated in first residency at the Caribbean Museum Center that was research-based on our shared histories and the maroon culture and history and about migration. And we were talking a lot about how we both have had to move because we haven't been supported at home as cultural producers and that we have had to go to the States or go abroad to be able to really get that type of support. And what has Tilting Axis brought to you in terms of ideas or inspiration this week? I think more than anything, it's the building community, meeting people like you and meeting, you know, other people that are inspirational and people that I know that I'll be friends with forever and building that community. Because a lot of what my work is, is nurturing and supporting and even with the residency, we do a lot of meals together and cooking and my family, we'd love to like bring everybody together around food. That's so. certainly something we've enjoyed this week. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there is a sense of family and connectivity mm-hmm. among the participants that I've never felt in a gathering of curators or artists right. before. We're coming together with a common cause among communities that are mm-hmm. separated by water. I agree. I mean, we've been largely invisibilized, so it's good to be a part of this just because we haven't had much of a presence. An emerging art zone on St. John goes by the name of Grigri Project. Curator Priscilla Knight and writer David Knight grew up in the Virgin Islands and decided to stay. They're working to forge and sustain a cultural ecosystem with the limited resources of a mono-economy based on tourism. 
The internet has enabled their connection to the global art scene. Living in such an insular small place, it opens up a huge world for us. Um, so having that connectivity to the rest of the world is, is really important. Uh, for people living on small islands such as such as ours, C certainly that was that was my access to uh, to the larger Caribbean art world was was all through online at first, uh, meeting people like uh, like Holly Bino who had Art Magazine, and Annalie Davis and and uh, you know being invited to participate in some of this stuff which I'm so grateful to be to be here. Um, you know, I was going to ask you that. How does it feel? We're on the verge of a new season. How does it feel to hurricane, be hurricane season? Yeah, 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 a new hurricane season. Uh, you're in the zone. You're still there. Part, part of life. Yeah. It's part, a part of growing up and being a part of the Caribbean is this reality that we have these, you know, natural disasters that we're susceptible to and vulnerable to, and we just have to figure out better ways to navigate the situation. But we're grateful to be here and. Um, connecting with other people throughout the region and kind of listening to their stories and their experiences and how they have been able to cope with natural disasters or, in the case of the arts, how they navigate their art systems and their cultural systems where they live in their small places as well, or large places. Caribbean has big islands as well. So, What's the biggest idea you've gotten so far from what you've been hearing here about how to, how to deal? Have you had any discoveries yet? The things you want to take away and try? Yeah, I mean, I think the um, there were there were several good things that came out of our um, the ideas lab session that we had yesterday were quite interesting, and uh, you know all all I keep hearing the solution really does seem to be in more connectivity of the region, uh, because we are very small spaces with limited resources, uh, but we're facing a lot of the same problems. Uh, so regional solutions do. Those are difficult because of our fragmented colonial histories, our language differences, different political systems that we live under. The Caribbean has it all. It's difficult to sort of get regional cooperation under those circumstances, but it really is, is the way forward. One of the um, things that was recommended in the Ideas Lab that I think was quite interesting was the idea of having a uh, either regional advocacy group for the arts or, um, or some kind of regional funding for a conservator or arts professional who can help us in the case of natural disasters, preserve some of our cultural patrimony, which all the islands that are susceptible to natural disasters deal with all the time. We lose so much every time this happens. We lose so much of our history and our cultural inheritance. And it, to not have that happen, it seems we need to not just be reliant on the various metropolitan countries that have ownership of, of different islands and, uh, or in our small spaces, our small national frameworks, too. We need some regional cooperation, some regional focus, because we're, we're facing similar issues. You have an actual space. Yes. So we have an exhibition space on St. John uh, in a very interesting, uh, very in keeping with the nature of St. John called Mongoose Junction. And we open the space up to the community. We have exhibitions, traditional exhibitions um, curated, as well as opening it up to different organizations that may want to use the space for cultural events. We don't have a movie theater, for example, on St. John. So we love to bring in documentary films about different countries and how they navigate their art systems. We also have poetry readings at the space. Um, we've had musical events. And I noticed after the last hurricane, you had FEMA, Federal Emergency Management Agency, come and meet there with community members. So yes, we were very um, happy to be able to provide that space for it, especially since a lot of the more 
community-oriented spaces uh, were devastated or no longer. Our goal is always collaboration, local collaboration. Uh, I think in small island context, that's a natural impulse. Uh, we have communal societies and, and cultures. You know, we have uh, chairs and, and, uh, and a, and a uh, projector screen so people can give presentations there if we want. We can do roundtable discussions about any issues people want to talk about. You spoke yesterday about some community engagement, a mask project involving a lot of locals. It's a combination of an art therapy and kind of this uh, looking back at the history and the culture of mass making um, in the Virgin Islands as well as regionally throughout the Caribbean. We're working with all the schools on St. John as well as the senior centers. May I ask why art therapy is important to this project? After the hurricanes, a lot of us, and we continue to experience, um, you know, a degree of stress and anxiety that you know, was brought about because of the hurricanes, and we wanted to use the arts as an expression, a way to kind of this cathartic idea of releasing some of the tensions uh, through through the arts. The festival arts are so important to our art ecosystem. I think that in in many ways, the the gallery space is the non traditional space on the on these islands. The more traditional space is is the carnival, the festival. Uh, so it's great to also be able to incorporate some of this into the festival parade uh, as well that will happen in July on St. John. When we recorded our first conversation with curator Sasha Days in 2012, she was living and working between Amsterdam and New York. This year, she's left that behind. Days is roving the Caribbean to map the region's contemporary art scene. We reconnect with her in the Dominican Republic. I'm also writing a weekly uh, article in a Dutch art magazine, Trendbeheer, and I'm doing a monthly English one in Africana. And then I also try to share my network, so whoever I meet, they all get to meet each other, at least they get each other's information. I'm trying to write a little bit about who they are and what they do. And if I feel like, wow, you know, this person should actually meet that person, I'll check, do you know that person on that other island? No, then I make the connections. The more you travel, the better you know what kind of artists, for instance, locations would like to work with. And then I try to say to them, hey, I'm now on this island. I met this artist, it would be perfect for the show you were talking about or for the work you are doing, and I make those connections as well. And that's inside and outside the region. So I'm sending it to all the curators and writers and university people that I know in America and in Europe. So it's very much about sharing. So I'm doing it for 14 months, and then in the end I'm supposed to write a book about the travels talking a little bit about certain issues that I came across, but it's also a very personal book in the sense that I talk about the way I traveled and what happened and how it happened. And that glues the issues, you know, the more serious art issues together to make it a very accessible book for everybody. I was curious and I wanted to help make the islands connect because working here I realized how difficult it is for people to get those connections, how isolated they are. What is your connection to the Caribbean? Well, I grew up in the Netherlands, and of course the Netherlands had colonies as well. So I had a lot of friends back home, like from Suriname and from Curaçao. 
and that's sort of how that connection started and then from like the former colonies I met people from Trinidad and I started to to go there and it spread out. Yeah, I think it's so enriching to actually go places and observe and see what people do and what their cultures is. And it, um, yeah, it makes uh, for less fear. And I think certainly in this time and age, that's what we need a lot of, less fear. So we're walking across Parque Duarte where I spent my first evening in Santo Domingo. This was a square where people really could have freedom of speech and talk, for instance, about um, all, all kind of like for a while, like in Dominican Republic, they had problem with gay people as well. And they yes. would all congregate on this uh, place and demonstrate for the rights for LGBT people. Uh, and traditionally, I understood this is really that square where people come together if there are issues, political issues, that is. Dr. Suzanne Burke leads the Department of Culture Studies at the University of West Indies. She makes her way to Tilting Axis for the first time this year. We meet at the museum where Fermin Ceballos is showing his new work. Burke is here to connect and consider ways to enrich the symposia she's organizing for Carifesta. The Caribbean Arts Festival travels to Trinidad and Tobago in 2019. I'm here at Tilting Access 4 primarily to engage other artists, activists, policymakers about the role of art in Caribbean development and the various synergies that we each bring to the table in helping us see ourselves differently and be the core of who we are. So I'm always interested in meetings like this that bring various people together, that bring various parts of the Caribbean together, the Hispanophone, Anglophone, Francophone. We don't do this enough. Uh, we're divided by sea, but we're also connected by sea. So it's one of the reasons that I'm so happy to be here and to be part of this community. I am coordinating this symposia for the festival, which has to do with the knowledge transfer, so the, the conference that will accompany the Carifesta. So I am facilitating that. So it's really interesting to meet with all the people, to network, and ensure that Carifesta is not simply something that brings islands of the the English-speaking Caribbean together, even though it was an initiative of the English-speaking Caribbean, but to ensure that there's wider participation. So I want to ensure that the symposia is as representative of who we are as Caribbean people as possible, both living in the actual region and in the diaspora. A few blocks away, in the colonial zone, we stopped by the local artist-run space known as Casa Kien. Hi, everyone. Artist founder Amy Hussein, along with curator and program director Luis Graham Castillo, give us a tour of their new residency space. In the gallery and the courtyard, we encounter installations by recent artist-in-residence Lucia Hierro. Her exhibition, Here and There, reflects on the nostalgia and dreams of the Dominican diaspora in New York. This is 
our dream. <laughs> Your <laughs> passion. <through>. Yeah. <laughs> it's the first artist residency program in Santo Domingo. Wow. Yes. Congratulations. And the only one in Santo Domingo. Uh, there's one by Davidoff in, Rom in La Romana, which is a different province. And yes, basically, this is the space and living and studio space. They stay anything from two to eight weeks. What a fun space. There's a bar downstairs. There's just this wonderful ambiance. This is a colonial house from like uh, three centuries ago. Uh, it's a beautiful place, yeah. Tell us what we see. An installation of Lucia Hierro. She's appropriating the romanticism and old time paintings and then printing on, on fabric, then putting on a clothesline. A, a clothesline. With yeah. clothespins. So it looks like laundry. But this is all that show the experience of Dominican diaspora. It's the way they remember time in Dominican Republic. In the courtyard of the Centro Cultural de España in Santo Domingo, where Chilting Access participants gather for a final session, we look toward the possible futures of art in the Caribbean. Born in Montreal and of Trinidad descent, Lisa Ragber now teaches at the University of Texas in Austin. She's just announced the award of a new fellowship. This fellowship is a way of recognizing the limited opportunities there are for emerging curators in the region. And it's to share this range of resources that we have with UT with somebody from the region. Our hope is really to provide a stepping stone for the fellow to return to the Caribbean and share what they've learned up in the United States. Let's tell everyone who won it and where she's based right now. Sure. The curatorial fellow for this year, TA4, is Natalie Willis from the National Gallery of the Bahamas. She's currently the assistant curator there. She's Bahamian, and this will be her first experience on an American campus. She's particularly interested in exploring the interconnectedness, or lack thereof, potentially, of blackness across the diaspora. So we're really looking at this as an exchange, where she's bringing a unique perspective to UT, and we're eager and happy to be able to share our resources with her. Alex Martinez Suarez is an architect, researcher, curator, and educator. He sparked the collective platform called Archipelago. Suarez has a passionate quest to diminish the sense of isolation in the Caribbean. Well, Archipelago, it's a multidisciplinary platform working with different initiatives from the academia and also working in arts and cultural management, but also working with architectural projects. We have a range of scales and activities we have a, within our museum practice. We have the general coordinator and museographer of Museo Fernando Peña de Filló. It's a long name, yes. It's a museum dedicated to this very important artist of the 20th century in the Dominican Republic. And it's the first private museum dedicated to one artist in Santo Domingo. We have public programs. We also have uh, exhibitions. Currently, we have uh, an awesome exhibition on Fermin Ceballos. 
and we give the opportunity to young artists to present their work in our space, cohabitating with Peña de Fillos legacy, which is in the permanent side of the museum. So this is a little bit of what I do in terms of curating. My field is definitely the 20th century architecture in Santo Domingo and also in the Caribbean. So I know from hearing you speak that you're an activist as well. You're an advocate for modern architecture, and you're also an advocate for forward thinking. Today you introduced an idea of the future. Well, this idea we presented today it was a device that could actually get us together uh, in terms of culture, and it's a kind of literal device of connection to counter the art fragmentation in our region. It's a ship that we have conceived to design as an architectural piece, and this ship will host programs, a collection, from the standing point of a cultural or folklore approach first, to try to link all the islands of the Caribbean archipelago. Till now, it's an utopian idea uh, that we presented in the United States last year in the context of Harvard University. It was a proposal that it already has uh, a kind of conceptual frame, and we now need to start to make the connections to, as a collective, come up with an idea, with the actual project, to see how this could be a reality. Well, everybody got very excited. Yeah, I think so. It. I think so. People were really excited and, and positive about the idea. And let's see what happens. I made an open call to people who want to collaborate with this idea. And also, maybe Tickling Axis 5 could be held in a ship. And we could try standing on top of the Caribbean Sea, making consciousness about how can a device work in this context, going from one port to the other. In her presentation... Maria Reyes Franco, a Puerto Rican curator who lives and works in San Juan, introduced us to Sofia Gallisa Moriente, Beatriz Santiago Munoz, and Pablo Santiago, three Puerto Rican-born artists who optimize new media, the internet, and social media platforms to express their visions of what's next. Sofia Galliza Morienta, who's someone that I've known her forever. I recently worked with her in an exhibition last year, Watch Your Step, Mind Your Head. I shot a video titled B-Roll. And then I also shared a, an experience of a four-day feminist radio station organized by Beatriz Santiago Muñoz, who is thinking about what can someone transmit to us and tell us from the future that will affect our present. So this was a radio station called We Come From The Future. It was organized in parallel. It happened at the same time as a women's conference. A lot of like f feminist theorists came down to Puerto Rico, and when she found out about that, she was like, I don't care if I'm officially a part of this, but I'm going to do something uh, about the, the, the subject. I'm like, what, how can we imagine a post-patriarchal society? And then her brother, who's someone that I'm, I haven't worked with yet, I don't think he has shown as an artist, but his website 
and his Facebook page is actually like a work of art in itself. He has created a series of uh, videos titled Possible Worlds. So the website is called? Aimbot. A-I-M-B-O-T. You can look it up on Facebook, and that's his page. So yeah, like Possible Worlds is a series of transmissions also coming from the future. He does a lot of research and it's kind of a, like a visual archaeology of our recent past. And he also does a lot of work on CGI, reimagining like alternate dimensions in which another Puerto Rico exists. CGI means? Uh, Computer-generated images. So these are artists who are either creating alternative narratives or taking the imagery that has been usually used to project things onto us. And we can take those images and kind of revert them back as something more empowering and something that can actually imagine our countries, our lives in a different way. Sofia's video B-roll works with the B-roll that she re-edited from tourism campaigns produced by the Puerto Rico Tourism Company or other promotional videos that are actually meant to sell the country as a destination for investors. So she took that and flipped it. I am optimistic about the long-term growth prospects for Puerto Rico. It has a perfect climate. This is very, very beautiful. Essentially minimize your taxes in a way that you can't do anywhere else in the world. The other is super powerful. It's a like an original composition by a DJ. He used samples from what investors tell each other at these summits, at these meetings. When people think that they're in a room of like-minded people, they tend to say sometimes very horrible things. Like I couldn't afford not to be Puerto Rican, which means that this rich American investor needed to move to Puerto Rico. He had to become Puerto Rican in order not to pay federal taxes. In the exhibition that I organized at IFA Gallery in Berlin, you could see the video on, on a screen, but then the, the headphones were wireless, so you could actually, it could be the soundtrack to the exhibition. That was the way that it was meant to be. What do you think about tilting axis? What's your takeaway from this experience? I've been coming to the Dominican Republic for four years now, and I've been uh, a part of other amazing projects that, that Sarah Herman uh, has been organizing with Centro León and in, in conjunction with the Spanish Cultural Center here in Santo Domingo. I loved getting to reconnect with the Curando Caribe uh, participants. This for me is like coming back to another home. Also, Tilting Axis is the first time that I'm here. It's the first time that I'm part of the convening of this gathering. And I'm just like basically blown away. I'm reconnected with old friends. Miguel Lopez is an old friend. Gala Vercher is an old friend. Valsara, everybody from the Dominican Republic. But the greatest thing is getting to meet people that you've only read about or read their texts and engage in conversations that can bring us into a more productive future. I, I say it's like the Geneva of Latin America. You have the elites from all over Latin America who have moved here over the years. 
Fresh Art International. I'm Kathy Bird. Innovation, technology, connectivity, and community are key words in these conversations from the Caribbean. Culture makers working in the region today understand how context, identity, and belonging can foster new creative opportunities. Everyone here is acutely aware that the water that surrounds and connects the island countries is the same substance that separates and isolates them, contributing to the fragility of their cultural ecology. Visit freshartinternational.com to learn more and hear other conversations about contemporary creativity in the Caribbean. Miami, a portal to the Caribbean, is our home base. It seems that momentum is building for the region to claim its full force as a culture space. We invite you to subscribe, rate, and review Fresh Art International. You'll find our archive of more than 200 episodes anywhere you go for podcasts. Thank you to Tilting Axis for the travel grant that enabled us to reach the Dominican Republic this year. To learn more about the participating artists, curators, and others that joined us in the Dominican Republic, visit tiltingaxis.org. Gifts from followers and grants from the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Emily Hall Tremaine Foundation, and the Locust Project's Wavemaker Grant through the Andy Warhol Foundation for the Arts, are vital to our work. If you would like to join our community of supporters, go to freshartinternational.com and click on the red support button. Thank you for listening. Stay tuned for more contemporary art talk.